Hello and welcome to the VSuit podcast, the virtualization podcast that isn't being sued by a strip club. We always pay our tabs. Joining Christian, Ed and me, Chris Dearden, on this very special podcasting for cancer episode of the show are Trevor and Josh, our first Canadians. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Eh? <laughs> yeah, um, Ed did ask, did we have to speak extra slowly on this show? Um, but I think we'll be okay. Oh, we're already starting the American versus, versus Canadian rivalry here. Well, no, we, 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 we don't have to get into rivalry. We just uh, sit here and let you stare at us and uh, <laughs> be envious. So what, what are you guys up to at the moment in, in sort of... Um, uh, sunny, sunny Alberta. I mean, Trevor, I've read uh, you know a good number of your posts on the register, and you know you you come across very, very strongly as you know the the big voice for small business IT, um, and it's quite good, I think, for for small businesses that don't necessarily, unless you've got a really, really noisy blogger, and some bloggers are noisier than others. Um, that what's going on in for a guy who's got five servers. Um, is not going to get the same sort of industry um, listening time, ear time, as it were, as someone who's got 5,000 servers. Um, and I guess if you've got, as part of, I guess, um, your customers, you've got a large number of small uh, small server estates, uh, does that help you actually get listened to? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's really the only reason that I got into this in the first place. Um, I mean... I, I hate traveling. I'm not necessarily a fan of doing all of the, you know, schmoozing and I guess just people-based stuff with a where where a lot of people end up being quite fake about things. So, come on, meeting, meetings are fun. Yeah, well, meetings aren't fun, but it's 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 the PR and and the the marketing and the schmoozing and the. I mean, talking, meeting the, the people from the, from the VMware community has been amazing. But there's, there's a, a whole other layer that, of just marketing fluff that you have to break through before you get to meet any of the really cool people. And I normally wouldn't bother with that because it's, it's fairly stressful. Uh, but what I've been able to accomplish in terms of getting changes made to, you know, in some cases licensing schemes, in some cases uh, features added or support given to some of the small businesses has really made it all worthwhile. These small businesses that I support, uh, a lot of the people who own them are my friends. A lot of the people who work there are my friends. And if their computers don't work, their businesses don't work. And if their businesses don't work, these people are out of a job. And... I view it as my job as a systems administrator to go out there and raise hell because my job is to keep their computers running. And when you can't keep their computers running because throwing money at the problem isn't an option, politicking becomes one of the only things you have left. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess at some point you need some money. But um, is the view often from a lot of... You know, traditional enterprise vendors that are small businesses are just going to use our cloud service and no one really needs local IT anymore apart from to reload the printer. Well, there's some of that, but most of them just don't care. Most of them view small businesses as a burden, as a, a problem, not, uh, not as a customer, not as a revenue source. And, and I think that's 
really quite short-sighted because small businesses tend to run in packs. You rarely have just one that's isolated. They, they, uh, you know, they get together. They talk. You have small business systems administrators that work in groups because they don't have the scale to have specialists all over the place. And this is what I see every time I talk to a small business administrator is that he's usually part of a coalition of 20 or 30 other systems administrators running small businesses across his city. And if you irritate one of them, you irritate a lot of them. And that is a fair amount of money that can go away. What's a small business? I mean... Yeah, how do you find small? Because I know small, depending on which side of the Atlantic you're in, small can mean a multitude of sins. Well, uh, and, and, and VMware describe it as like up to 2,000 employees, which... <laughs> is, well, and, and that's, a, that's a very American view. I mean, actually, Canada has, has, has some official guidance on this, and, and it's what I end up using, which is that a small business is under 100 seats, and a medium business is under 500 seats where uh, a large business is considered 500 seats and, and, and higher. And in Canada, we have uh, over 3 million businesses under 100 seats. We have 2.7 between uh, 101 seats and 500 seats. And over 500 seats, we have only 5,000. So yeah. not, there are a lot of small and medium businesses out there uh, that most of these American companies just don't even care about 500 seats. Nobody wants to deal with that. So in, in that case, that brings us back to almost something we talked about in a previous episode. It might've been the last one or the one before that is uh, if you have a coalition of a bunch of administrators with something like a community cloud for all these small businesses you're serving in Canada be uh, of any use for you guys or that's what we do. Okay. That, that, that's what we all do. Um, I mean, there you're getting into the evolution of the managed service provider. And a lot of what the traditional small business was, where you had a systems administrator or two sysadmins running a business with 50 seats, now that doesn't happen. Now, now those jobs are almost gone. And what's happening is your small business sysadmins are starting their own MSPs. Yeah, they uh, work and, for a small outsourcer type things. You know, these sort of almost well, a local outsourcer that's just... Yeah. The, not you know they're not doing huge things, but I, well, I the, 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 the local um, the local service provider we yeah. like we have a, a stable of about twenty regular customers and a few other fringe customers beyond that, and uh, we provide cloud services for them, and 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 we do a lot of that locally, and um, I think to a large extent, that's really the only way to do it for some of these small businesses because as, as much as as much as especially American companies like to think that small businesses are just going to walk into the, the giant public cloud, small businesses are more afraid of computers and IT than a lot of people think. And what really matters to them is having a neck to ring. <laughs> when, yeah. when it goes wrong, they want a yeah, next ring. Shout at, yeah. And that kind of yeah. brings us to a larger uh, cloud provider that announced its shutdown, maybe, maybe what was that, a, earlier in the month? Nervanix. Yeah. yeah. Left a lot of, actually, bigger businesses high and dry there. So. Well, and, and here's, a, here's a bigger question for you, okay? So, I mean, if you're not an enterprise, you're... you're 
IT is probably hanging on the other end of a DSL connection or a cable modem. Even if it's a business class DSL or, or cable connection, you're still going to have problems pushing all of your data up and pulling it down across that link. I mean, you're, you're not sitting there on, on a gig or two of fiber. So if you back up your entire small business, and some of these companies that I work with have 100, 200, 300 terabytes, despite only being 25-man companies. What happens if your local IT collapses and you've got some cloud backup provider? Are you going to pull 300 terabytes down a DSL connection? No. If your cloud service provider isn't willing to copy that onto a bunch of hard drives and drive it over to your company, plug them in and light you back up, you're done. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, sure, there's the, the associated cost of that. I mean, I saw a, a, a tweet today, and I, obviously, you know I me, mean, I don't want to get too much in, into sort of backup and restore specifically, but it's cost of restore that is the expensive part in any cloud solution. Um, and yeah, if, if, if I've got to copy data to a bunch of hard drives and have it couriered over, um, you can be sure they're going to be charging an absolute arm and a leg for something like that. Whereas when you are a, uh, a local MSP, and you're a small business guy, and you come from that background, that isn't something you charge for. You're on call 24 hours a day for every one of your customers. They need something fixed. You just roll out of bed and fix it. Yeah. I, I guess the uh, Nirvanics guys kind of get, gave two weeks notice and please get, get your data back. Uh, and that's not going to happen for a lot of them. So that's a, a, it's a kind of a... a, a I don't know how many of, of their customers have ever thought of that process actually having to be done at some point and what the what the uh, the consequences of something like that would be. So I guess this uh, Nirvanix thing is kind of an eye-opener for a, a bunch of people. Well, here's the thing with putting a lot of your data out on the cloud. It's like your network becomes the one critical service that you have in-house. Uh, you need really sharp network guys and possibly a, a much bigger pipe than you would expect. So you're spending the money. Um, you're spending the money possibly that you would to even just drop a server in house. Oh, way more, yeah. especially for the small business where you're going to. I mean, remember, you're still going to need multiple networks, and they charge you through the nose, especially in North America, um, and in particular even. Yeah, Canada's got it worse than most. And uh, we're, this is before we start getting into some of the, the issues of IT going forward. So everybody's going into the cloud, and we're going into these, uh, you know, in a lot of cases, hybrid networks, where you've got some resources locally and some resources in the cloud, and you've got some, uh, you know, virtual server that bridges the cloud network with the local one. And you're a small business and you don't have BGP because your ISP doesn't provide it. So what happens when your IS, when you've got to switch over from one ISP to the other and all your IPv6 addresses change? How do you deal with renumbering? That is something that IPv6 just doesn't do at all. Well, that's a pretty complex uh, thing for a small business to have, have run and... Uh IPv6, along with the cloud thing, they would need to have some almost permanent IT guys to put that except together. That, except that we say that now, and that has always been what we've said about IPv6, is that you, you have to have this done properly. And five years from now, that won't be an excuse. 
and we either have a solution to this and we either uh, have appliances for this and we've made this dead simple or we have created a two-tier internet and a two-tier cloud services setup where companies that are big enough to afford those IT guys and big enough to afford BGP and big enough to afford these enterprise class services will get a full suite of access and everybody else doesn't and can't and never will. And and that is, I mean, you you, you talked about uh, me coming around and, and being the, the big voice of small business IT. Well, these are the sort of concerns that, I guess, keep me up at night. And, and it, it's not something that people like to hear. People don't like to hear, well, hey, there's still problems with IVV6. There's still problems with how we're approaching a lot of this. But none of this was designed with these small businesses in mind. It was designed by enterprises and it was designed by networking companies and it was designed by academics. But nobody thinks about the guy who's got 200 employees and is sitting there on the other end of an ISP. They just say, well, we'll make the ISPs behave. When has that ever happened? <laughs> Come on now, yeah. Rogers will behave. <laughs> Yes, and uh, the Oilers will bring home the cup this year. Uh-huh. I believe. Well, I guess there's a difference be between actually having faith in something and actually believing in it. Those are two different things in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I'm much more of a fan of, uh, I think, uh, believing it when I see it. Um, I'm a networking atheist, thank you. How do you find sort of, you know, some vendors have traditionally had a really great small business message, others just, you know, that do seem to leave them by, by the wayside. And you know, we promised before the show we would try not to talk about Microsoft too much because it does bring you out in a rash. Um, well, Microsoft splits in two, and I'm actually really interested in the fact that Microsoft has done a reorganization into people that suck and people that don't. Um, I mean, really, that, that, that's the way that they've broken their company, is everybody that, that, that doesn't get people has been pushed over into this consumer division, and then server and the rest of it, what used to be the server and tools business, what used to be uh, some of the Azure and some of the enterprise-level Office 365 guys, they're all in another group. Uh, I mean, if you want to put Satya Nadella in charge of Microsoft and make him the next CEO and, and move forward from there, Microsoft's probably going to, I would guess, dominate the next 20 years of IT. Because those server and tools guys have most of an understanding of how this should work. And, and this is, I mean, if you look at the cloud OS thing that they've got going on, put your, your workloads locally, put it into a uh, service provider, put it into Azure, but you can do it wherever you want. That's a yep. great idea. It's, it's, it's a fantastic, fantastic concept. I wonder if the, the reality is going to work as much. I mean, one of, the, one of the things I've noticed that a lot of the Microsoft messaging at the moment, um, they're talking about everyone using 40 gig uh, internet, uh, sorry, 40 gig uh, interconnects and, and infinity band as if they're giving it away on the cover of Time magazine. Um, and, you know, I, people haven't even gone to 10 gig yet. So I, I, I disagree. I, almost all my businesses are 10 gig now. I suppose, again, this is where enterprise 
lacks that agility in that if you've got to move um, an enterprise data center over to 10 gig, it's that much harder. But I still yes. see the underlying uh, switching cost of 10 gig is still enough to make someone sort of draw, draw in breath deeply when you tell them how much the switch is going to cost. Absolutely. To sort of $300. Um, and when you're a small business and your server room is a closet, you have other concerns, cooling, power, physical space. Uh, I mean, in, in a lot of these, in a lot of these scenarios, um, you're going to end up paying X amount anyways. It's just, where do you want to spend it? And do you want to end up spending that, uh, putting in a 10 gig switch that you realistically can probably get another 10 years out of, or do you want to end up spending it kicking accounting out of their offices so that you can expand the data center by three more racks? <laughs> yeah, well, a, a small business doesn't need uh, 210 gig ports either. They, they, they need some kind of... They might even need eight, and that's it. Yep. And, yeah, I was about to say, that's about eight is about where it lives, and then everything else is one gig. Yeah, exactly, and that, that's, that's what all you need. It's different when you have rack upon rack upon rack of, of, uh, of uh, services that need oh. tech gig. Uh, plus, plus the small business isn't, it's not putting Arista in there everywhere either. I mean, the small business is putting in Netgear, and it's putting in Supermicro, or even some of the Dell PowerConnect stuff. And what you're looking at there are cost per port that's, what, half, uh, a quarter of some of your Arista or your Cisco type stuff, and it doesn't require a degree in rocket surgery to figure out? Yeah, makes sense. I mean, it's it's, uh, it's more, more cost efficient and it's easier to do, so why not? Um, and that makes it... In a way, that may, makes the small businesses more agile uh, in in adopting the technology. But the problem well, on the other end is that when the technology isn't uh, isn't made for them in in the uh, in the in the kind of environment they're having, it's harder to implement because of that. So you kind of you're kind of butting your head against the other end of the stick there. Yes, and 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 I think that. I mean, basically, you, you've described the entire innovation motivation behind our industry. Um, the small business doesn't have the option of not being as good at IT as the enterprise. If we want to compete with these companies that have deeper pockets and have the ability to throw money and bodies at a problem, we have to be better, more nimbler, more agile, faster, uh, it's the only way that a small business can compete in, in today's business world. And it's probably been that way since way before computers were around. But what that means is that if there isn't a company out there developing a solution specifically for the small business, then you have to invent it. Today, I can go out and I can buy myself a Netgear switch with a bunch of 10 gig ports and it's cheap. Two years ago, I was building my own switches with Linux uh, and, and real-time kernels and 10-gig e-cards from Intel. And 
it's that sort of innovation that really is what drives the creation of startups and keeps all the rest of our uh, industry moving forward. Somebody runs up against this place where we need to do this cheaper than everybody else or faster or better. And a lot of that really, I think, comes out of the small business world. Yeah, but at some point, everyone kind of forgets where they came from. And then they become these enterprise-ready uh, kind of businesses when they're going out of startup mode or whatever. And Absolutely. They kind of lost their roots, and then someone else starts up again and, and does the and same. And then, then I yell at them on the register. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a... It's a, it's a it's a never-ending of uh, never-ending and kind of vicious cycle in a way, because it it also makes the innovation part of of doing things that way. You have to do it again and again and again. Well, and 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 it has impacts for the company. Let's let's take a look at VMware right now. Um, so if you look at the company VMware, how many? what I would call AAA brains have been at VMware for more than a couple years. They've lost a huge number of really, really good people and they've lost almost all of their high visibility people to startups. I mean, for the past five or six years, you could basically pick up a VMware executive on Craigslist High visibility people, yeah, but I'm sure there's a lot of these <clears throat> really super smart uh, developers in the background that are sticking around. Well, and and, then, and it's interesting because a lot of the people that I've been talking to, uh, you know, at some of these startups, at uh, VMware itself, behind the scenes, say that a lot of the, while VMware has a lot of smart people, most of the really smart ones are sort of new hires and they've been bleeding some of the the people that have been around since the beginning uh most of the people that have been around since the beginning because and when i talk to them they say it's lost that startup feel the culture of the company changed after uh diane green was ousted and that really led to an exodus uh and and, and i think that happens all over i think i think that's part of the cycle but also, organic growth is also going to change the culture of any company. Yep. I mean, you you can only stay you can only stay so agile for so long before you you know you start having a really thick management structure and and stuff like that. From my my opinion. But. Yep. The the layers of bureaucracy and the red tape and new rules and and what you used to be able to get away with is now against HR policy and. And, and I think a lot of these people get so used to it, and I'm just as guilty myself, that they just up and leave. I mean, the whole reason that I have my own company actually boils down to a fish tank. Uh, I, I was told during a move, I wanted to put a fish tank in my new office, and I was told I wasn't allowed to do this. And it wasn't so much the fact that I wasn't allowed to put a fish tank in my office as how I was told it, that I realized, you know, this isn't really where I want to be. This isn't really what I want to do. And and I, I, I don't want to spend my life working for somebody else's benefit and, and getting nothing more than rent money out of it. 
You didn't want a fish tank with like sharks with laser beams on their head or anything, did you? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I've got. I, I know. I'm, I have my own company, and we have renovated my basement into a wonderful office. And there is a 180 gal fish tank that I'm staring at right now, and it's just a bunch of small little one inch fish, and they're doing their thing. You so know, water I, or fresh water? Sorry to take us away from this. Fresh, fresh water. Okay, okay. And and, and it's just. For me, it was a calming thing. Being a sysadmin is stressful, especially if you uh, are in a small business where you have to fix everything from printers to SIP phones to laptops to Blackberries, you name it. You're, you're, you're everything when you're a small business sysadmin. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, you're doing this 24 hours a day. You're doing this, you know, working actually 16 hours, barely sleeping. That's the life of a small business sysadmin. Do that for 10 years. And, and you know, little things like a fish tank at your office start to mean a lot. <laughs> What's the little yeah, thing? I was going to say, well, it's almost like Milton and his stapler, really. You know, yep. it just takes yep. one it, little it, thing and then you're going to burn it, the office it's, down. It's my red swing line, man. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen my fish tank? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist that. Um, uh, kind of explains your Skype, uh, your Skype uh, avatar as well. I guess. Yes, my my Skype avatar there is a bristlenose placostomus. He's the mascot for our company. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, sure enough, we got a whole bunch of them in our fish tanks. It's a good, good yeah. place to get, get the mascot from. Um, we have an ad, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we don't really need a mascot. We've, we've got an ad. <laughs> oh, I'm happy to be the after. mascot, you guys. We, we actually still haven't worked out uh, what inanimate object is going to represent Ed at our uh, at VMworld this year when you know, we, we've sort of taken to doing these uh, video versions of the uh, the podcast and Christian and I will be uh, doing it as part of the, sort of the brown bag stage um, in the community space I'm, I'm hoping we haven't worked out when yet um, but traditionally you know, Christian has been represented by a potato um, and you know we, we still haven't worked out what to represent Ed by yet. I thought of something a uh, half liter can of beer. <laughs> it's it's similar to to uh, to Greg Robertson's suggestion su- suggestion of a blow up doll, but <laughs> I'm not sure what he meant by that. To be honest, and yeah. I'm not sure I want to know. A blow up doll would be pretty cool. You could like print out a photo of my face and put it on there. <laughs> Where? On a you know on the normal Wherever face, you want. and of course it would, be, okay. it would be fully clothed. I mean. <laughs> I don't know. Ask Greg. I don't know. <laughs> he, he, he's going to be dealing with the blowing. Uh, no, wait. Uh, never mind. Uh, <laughs> we'll figure something out, Ed. Don't worry. Or uh, Greg's tarantula. He could bring uh, it. Yeah, well, then I won't be there. That's another thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, it'll just be a podcast of Greg. Yeah, he actually <laughs> named that spider Christian, that bastard, but that's okay. <laughs> um, never mind. Uh, let's move on. Uh, yeah. We don't blow up dolls, fish, and small IT. That makes a pretty weird soup. Um, but what we kind of 
wanted to do is talk a bit about the uh, podcasting for uh, for cancer initiative you you guys started uh, with the uh, the fundraising for uh, cancer research, right? Yeah. So what's the what's the uh, what's the backdrop there? We want everyone to know what's what's going on and why. Um, well, it kind of all started. Um, was it two, three ish weeks ago? I don't recall the date off the top of my head. But uh, a mutual friend of Trevor and I's, Gabriel Chapman, sent out a tweet. He's a great guy. Um, um, Sorry, there was an echo. Um, he, he's a great guy, and he sent out a really unfortunate tweet that um, the cancer, his, his mother had cancer, his, pa, his father had passed away to cancer, and the cancer um, that was afflicting his mother had passed into her lung or out of her lungs into other parts of her body, and things were taking a turn for the worse for all intents and purposes. So... The VMware community kind of started to band together. Um, a lot of really great people came together and tried to put this together because, well, cancer sucks. And, I mean, we want to we want to do everything that we can to help our friend, but not only just to help him, but to try and help deal with cancer as best as we can. And we're kind of on the Internet all the time, and the Internet is definitely the place that we know how to work. So... We figured, why not try this whole Indiegogo thing? And um, it's been working out great. So yeah, the, I mean... Kickstarter for charity, really, isn't it? It's like the Indiegogo sort of aim. Well, Indiegogo is sort of like a Kickstarter. Just I, I chose it because Kickstarter doesn't allow you to do things uh, for charities. Uh, and Indiegogo actually has a whole thing built in for this. So all I actually had to do really was... Uh, fill out a form and add a a number for the American Cancer Association, uh, their you know uh, not for profit number or whatever it was, and Indiegogo took care of most of it. I mean, this in terms of getting that part of it set up, it it really wasn't all that difficult. And I mean, this is why if anybody ever tries to say, "Oh, you you did a nice thing," I I really disclaim any responsibility for this because it was just twiddling some knobs on a web page. But, I mean, I'm one of those people, I guess, when I when I have a friend who's, who's having a bad time, I, I want to try to do something. I want to try to help. And there's nothing that anybody can do or say in a situation like this mm-hmm. that really makes a difference because it's, you know, just... You feel so helpless. I, I mean, if, if you're if you're watching somebody, you know, die of a disease that nobody can fix. Well, I mean, that that's a pretty helpless feeling. And uh, he, I mean, he's gone through this a few times. Uh, his grandparents, his his dad, his mom. Now, um, the whole purpose was really just to make sure that he didn't feel alone that he felt that there were some people that were out there that were willing to you know stand by him and that other people had gone through something similar and there was a, a community that he could turn to if he needed any sort of help in any way and the only way that I could think of at all to demonstrate that was to get a bunch of people to donate for cancer it's 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 a very canadian thing Whenever something like this happens, this is actually just what we do. Uh, you know, 
Hurricane Katrina hits a city in the U.S. Yep. Well, every single place in Canada that I can think of has got some big collection drive going. Uh, just about you know every retail store or coffee shop, you can donate a chunk of whatever you're doing to the Katrina box or the Hurricane Sandy box or whatever. I mean, we just do donations for just about everything all the time, yeah, especially once, in Edmonton. Once again, uh, Canada sounds a lot like Norway, actually, in that regard. We well, I, here. I, I think I, I honestly think um, Canada is—it's similar in a lot of ways to Norway, Denmark, uh, you know, Switzerland, Finland, Switzerland, Sweden, Estonia—that that that whole chunk of of countries. But um, we're also very heavily influenced by the U.S. I, I mean, when I when I get into the whole U.S. versus Canada thing, you know, I I, I get I I like to say, well, you know, it's 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 great. We 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 have our our health care and, and we're polite and we open doors for each other and everything. But still, if I had a place to move to, it would totally be Norway. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I, I guess the, the fundraising thing kind of. Um, Exploded in a way. It kind of uh, happened fairly quickly. It did. We raised ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars in ten days, and for that, I can really only say everybody loves Gabe. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a fantastic amount to raise, um, and. You know, you talk about um, earlier on that you know you're not a massive fan of schmoozing the marketing machines, but ultimately, um, I think you know due to schmoozing some of those marketing machines, they're the ones with the spare budget um, who have, if you manage to get any corporate donations, that's probably where it's come from. Um, so you know, there is good in marketing somewhere. You just have to find it. Yeah, yeah well, it's we've been it's been a really big mix. Um, there's certainly a couple of companies who have donated. Some reasonably large amounts, but there's we're at 65 different funders right now, um, and a lot of it has just been people from within the VMware community, within the IT community as a whole, just trying to come together and and help everybody out, right? Absolutely, you know, I, I love you know these sorts of things where you know communities group together, um, you know, particularly over some some you know terrible thing that helps sort of bond people together. But um, another similar example, I'm a, I'm a member of a car club, and I have been for many years, and uh, one of the guys um, recently discovered that he, that he found a cancerous lump on, on, his, on his testicles, um, and instead of sort of taking it lying down, again, he's had the whole sort of, you know, let's kick cancer in the balls, I think was his, his line. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, he, he's, he's now trying to sort of uh, take his experience and get that sort of help other people out, raise a bit of money. Um, and doing a, a similar sort of thing. I know it's not quite so much of a um, money raising thing, but more of a you know getting guys to touch their balls. And let's face it, which guy doesn't? Um, but this is specifically touching them in, in a non non fun way. Um, and yeah, he's got this site. It's uh, Testicle Tuesday. And it's just to remember every Tuesday, you just got to have a check. Um, and it's fantastic. I mean, he's uh, again, yeah, not taking anything lying down. Um, and you got to kind of. I'm impressed with his fighting spirit over it. Yeah, it's it's something that, that we found is there's a group of people that will donate to this just because, you know, 
it's Gabe, and there's a lot of people that like Gabe. And then there's this whole other peop- uh, group of people who've, who've come out, and they're really passionate about it because cancer has impacted their life in some way, and they, you know, they feel helpless, and they feel like they can't do anything. And so this comes along, and it gives them some manner to to do something beyond just donating and they can go and they can promote and they can do it within the community that is their lifeblood and, and that seems to be a, a very big thing for a, a certain segment of the population yeah sure it kind of it's not just that it's a fundraising racing thing where you please give us some money and we'll We'll hand it over to the uh, to the guys researching, and we'll hopefully someone someday someone will find a cure for this cancer thing. Uh, but it's also that we're kind of a lot of people have volunteered uh, their own time and effort in producing uh, or giving a promise with regards to producing content uh, based on what the uh, the contributors. Uh, to the uh, to the fundraiser actually wants, so it's kind of a, 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 a giving back to the community in a way uh, with regards to spending your time on something because it matters. Well, and that's exactly it. I mean, as, as amazing as it is that we've raised ten thousand dollars so far, and from everything that I've been seeing in my email, there are a number of individuals and companies that are looking to donate over the coming weeks as well. Um, what's what's really been just blowing me away are the number of people that are willing to donate their time to do podcasts, to write blogs, be part of the WebExes, to, to, to fulfill the perks. Yeah. I, I, it's that's what it, it's incredible that the whole community is, is amazing. And that, that's what impresses me the most, really. Uh, I guess uh, most of us can can easily uh, spend the twenty five dollars uh, uh, on the V cancer feel good perk. Uh, that's not probably for most people. That's not a big deal. But saying that you you'll be willing to spend hours on creating content, speaking with a vendor, and then doing something because they they wanted to donate to this project uh, and get something in return and what they get in return is some basically some some advertising opportunities as well as someone speaking on their behalf or about their product that's also fine but the people in the middle there who 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 will be actually doing the the work with creating the content and spreading it around and doing that part. That's what impresses me the most, that people are actually willing to do that. Well, yes, and and I mean, I'm somebody who does content creation for a living. Uh, I mean, I I write for The Register. uh, Josh and his whole half of our company do uh, a lot of technical marketing and content creation for startups and IT companies. and, and they, I mean, he does social media management. I mean, we, we, we pay salaries of people who do this for a living. I, I have a reasonable idea of what all of this costs and what the amount of man hours going into this are to to produce the content required to get these corporate donations. 
and and it's a lot. I mean, by the time that we're done, um, there's there, there's going to be a, a significant amount of very real value put in there. I should also point out that there are a couple of uh, different blogs that have been sponsoring uh, the whole podcasting for cancer set by offering up ad slots on their websites. Um, and I mean, we're, we're always open to adding new perks to this. So, uh, I mean, anybody who's, who's listening to this and wants to contribute more than just money can, you know, be a podcaster, they can be a blogger, or if they already have a fairly popular blog, offer up an ad slot. We can put that up as a perk. Um, we, we have a couple of them already and, this is the sort of thing that will get those big, hefty corporate donations because this is what those companies would be spending their advertising money on, anyways. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think we should definitely offer a um, VSuit currently only has um, a single sort of Google Ads banner, which I think has generated me the vast sum of thirty-seven pence um, <laughs> ever. So um, let's let's put it to some some much better use. Yeah. Um, and uh, we will uh, we'll put a, we'll put a your usual one two five by one two five ad of anything you know even if it is just like a picture of someone smiling we'll we'll put it out there. Yeah. Cool. Um, we definitely I appreciate also, that. I I also uh, uh, a week or so ago created uh, uh, a banner ad or a one twenty five pixel uh, ad space on my own site, Be Ninja, uh, for. Uh, promoting the uh, the fundraiser itself, which runs on my all of my pages right now, and I, I think a couple of others have have copied that as well as a as a way of uh, generating uh, links and and, and uh, whatnot activity back to the uh, to the fundraising site as well. And if if anyone wants to steal that ad from my site, please go ahead and do it now. Um, I certainly wouldn't mind if you stole it. That would be great. So please do. Well, that's uh, very generous. We'll definitely get to adding some perks and uh, you know bouncing some emails back and forth here, and hopefully, listening to this podcast are some companies who've decided that they'd love to support podcasting for cancer and uh, the VMware community, and uh, we'll choose to pick the perks with some of the ads. So um, <clears throat> thanks a lot for joining our special podcasting for cancer uh, VSoup. Uh, I guess we might not number this one, or we will number this one, guys. What do you What do you think? It would be an episode number thirty seven. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we will number it as a normal one since we'll go ahead. But um, <clears throat> guys, you want to uh, give a plug for for it before we before we go out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, be sure to uh, follow us uh, on Twitter at vpodcasting. Um, you'll see plenty of shoutouts and any news or anything like that coming out on there. And you can, of course, check the uh, the campaign itself out at indiegogo.com slash project slash podcasting dash four dash cancer, if I recall correctly. Yeah, um, yeah. do the show notes as well, so no problem. And there's Perfect. also the uh, vpodcasting v blog is at podcastingforcancer.org. Yeah, awesome. we'll have a lot of new content coming up on there pretty soon. We only just very recently got that website set up. 
but there's a lot of work and a lot of time getting put into it. So, excellent, excellent. Yeah. Great. It's it's almost one of those ones where you do want to suggest like an insane amount of money to do something daft like for you know for Christian always uh, having a go at me for wearing a green mankini. I think I think he should actually sell his own right to wear a green mankini at, at the vegan party. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think I think we should have like a competing one, you know, the mankini and the not to wear the mankini, you know, because some things can't be unseen and just see which one wins. Well, we actually had a survey that was yes yeah. or yes. <laughs> I, I, I felt so like an object. It was. <laughs> I was just I, I, I was nothing more than a piece of meat wrapped in green cellophane for them. Uh, <laughs> Well, that's that's the way we always see you. So, <laughs> thanks thanks for joining us on on VSoup again. You can see you can catch us on iTunes, Stitcher, or VSoup.net. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs>